for the record, he wasn't the only one who saw these things in Jesus. Again and again in the Gospels, if you're familiar with them, we read that Jesus is perceived by everyone as one with great power and authority, unlike anyone else. Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus' enemies, for all of their complaints, all of their attacks, never denied that these things were happening? What this man witnessed, we know, on the other side of this story, we know we're merely foretastes of Jesus' divine power and authority demonstrated beyond a doubt through his death and resurrection. But for him, in this moment, these things were the evidence upon which his faith in Christ was built. Beloved, faith is found where there is knowledge. Faith in Christ is not blind faith. Faith in Christ is faith that's grounded in truth. In fact, biblically, through the whole of Scripture, there can be no faith that is not grounded in truth or knowledge. It's impossible to have faith in Jesus Christ in a saving way, to embrace Jesus in a relationship without knowledge. And this is significant because there are lots of people, both inside and outside the church, who have a different kind of faith. The kind of faith that was like that of a man who was once asked by his friend, what do you believe? And the man replied, I believe what the church believes. Well, what does the church believe? Well, the church believes what I believe. To which his friend finally pushed him. Well, what do you and the church believe? We both believe the same thing. <laughs> now, this man believes something. This man believed something, and the thing he believed was that the church was right. He didn't know a thing about what the church believed, but he believed that. He believed that the church was right. And of course, that doesn't make any sense. And yet, for how many of us is our faith in Jesus of the same substance? Are you a believer in Jesus? Yes, you say, I'm a believer. Well, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm a believer. Or maybe you might say something like this. Well, I, I, I'm a believer. But I grew up in a Christian home. I believe because I grew up in a Christian. I believe because it, well, it feels right. Um, I, I believe because of my experience. Well, what do you believe? I don't know, but I grew up in a Christian home, and I believe what I was taught. I, I don't know. I, I feel that it's true, and so I believe that feeling. I'm not sure, but I had this experience and I believe that experience. Or maybe, and some of you may already be running this in your head if you're tracking with me, maybe you'd say, well, um, I, I, what I believe is, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and, or, or, I, or, no, no, I believe that Jesus died for my sins so that I'm forgiven. To which I would then say to you, what does that mean? I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. You'd be surprised how many people can say that much or that little. I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. What does that mean? I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I'm forgiven. How does that work? What does that mean? I don't know. I just believe it. Part of the reason why we're going through the Lord's Prayer through Luther's small catechism is Luther understood the idea that faith 
is first and foremost based on knowledge of something. And beloved, what we need to hear this morning, what we need to see through the centurion, as much as we can say, well, it's not a blind faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that if we are not like this centurion, if our faith begins and ends with, I don't know why, I just do, then the truth is we're really not a believer. In fact, we're not a believer in Jesus at all. Because you can't have true faith without knowledge. And when it comes to Jesus, our faith has a certain kind of knowledge. It's not just ideas about Jesus. That's why saying, well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus died for my sins and and, and I'm forgiven. Those are ideas about Jesus and they're important. But faith in Jesus is about not just ideas about Jesus, not just rumors, not just theories, not just doctrine. Believing in Jesus means having knowledge of Jesus, conviction about the truth of his person his character, his identity, his power, and his authority, and being able to speak to that. True biblical faith is made up of knowledge, conviction of the truth of that knowledge. And it's about our reliance upon that relationship and that knowledge. As his servant lies paralyzed, corpse-like even, we imagine, in terrible suffering, the centurion acknowledges his desperate need. His faith in Jesus begins with his knowledge of who Jesus is. He heard, he watched, and learned about Jesus and became convinced of the truth of Jesus' claims. And out of this knowledge, out of this conviction, he steps outside of his comfort zone, out of bounds in terms of cultural, ethnic, and political stability, and he asks for Jesus' help. Jesus, shall I come and heal him? With this question, and in our version it's not a question, but originally Jesus in response to the centurion says, shall I come and heal him? With this question, Jesus invites the centurion to go beyond what he knows. Because beloved, faith is found where there is knowledge, but faith is further discovered through the application of trust. And notice in response where the soldier doesn't place his trust. Because this reveals also the basis of his faith. Notice how the sol- where the soldier doesn't reveal his trust. He doesn't rely on his good character. He doesn't rely on his religion. He doesn't rely on his philanthropy. He doesn't rely even on his humility. Jesus doesn't say in response, you know what, I have not found such great character among the Gentiles. Jesus doesn't say, you know, I've not found such true religion. Jesus doesn't say, I haven't found such incredible charity work or humble service. Jesus doesn't say this. And the soldier doesn't put his trust on this. Interestingly, back to Luke's version of this story, in the eyes of the Jewish leadership, in that version of the story, this centurion is a man who is worthy to receive some special favor from God. They come to Jesus ahead of the centurion and say, this is somebody you ought to take care of. Because he's got a great reputation. He's done many good works in our community. But in contrast, where they put their trust in what he has done, the centurion has a different response. The centurion says, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. We have people in our lives, don't we? We have people in our lives that we would say what the Jewish leadership said about this centurion. Maybe we've even prayed for them that way. So-and-so is a great person, Lord. She's done this. He's done that. And they deserve your attention. That's what the Jewish leadership thought. But this centurion, in applying his faith through trust... When others claim he's worthy, this centurion says his faith is not grounded in himself. I'm not worthy, Lord. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. 
on, on, in one way, this acknowledgement is a respect for an important social barrier. The centurion is apparently knowledgeable that it's unlawful for a Jew to enter the house of a Gentile, since the dwelling places of Gentiles were considered amongst Jews as unclean. But this exchange, if you listen to the words, reveals much more than a nod to custom. This centurion humbles himself before Jesus. His faith in Jesus is revealed by his deference to Jesus. He submits to and relies on Jesus' power and authority. That's where he places his trust. Beloved, last week our focus was on trust. We, We learned about trusting Jesus even as he has first placed his trust in us. We talked about trust being leaning our lives in the direction of Jesus, placing the weight of our lives behind his steps. But what we're learning through this encounter, through this story today of the centurion, is that trust is just another layer upon which faith is built and expressed. Because what I want you to understand here is don't miss the fact that while faith and trust are related, faith is different from trust. Hebrews, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Bible defines faith as the evidence of unseen realities. Think about that. Faith is the evidence of unseen realities. It means faith is the proof of living as if what we're hoping for is already ours now. Get that? In other words, faith isn't living as though God is going to do what he promised. Faith is living in the reality that Jesus has already done it. To operate on the basis of trust alone is to say, I know my Redeemer lives. He will not disappoint me. And that's great. That's significant. But to walk by faith is to say, I thank you, Father, for you have answered my prayer and have granted me everything that my heart desires. Amen. And living out of that assurance. It's subtle, but it's significant. And that's what the centurion demonstrates here, the assurance of his faith in Jesus. Notice how the centurion declines the visit as unnecessary. He did not need a visit. He does not need a touch. His faith has no spatial limitations. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. The centurion put no trust in himself, his worthiness. He exercised his faith through his reliance, his trust in Jesus. All Jesus had to do was say the word and his servant would be healed even without visiting him. This is what Jesus affirms. This is what Jesus marvels at. This centurion's awareness, his knowledge of him, but his reliance, the application of that knowledge on him. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. This kind of wonder-working faith is needed by all of us. Many people, many people, and some of us today, maybe that's the extent of our faith because many of us believe in the existence of a deity. We believe there's a God. Maybe we even believe in the dogma of our religion. Maybe we can believe the idea that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But the faith that we're seeing here in this passage is more than faith in ideas or knowledge. That's where faith begins. This is faith in motion, anticipating, relying on, and living out of that word of God. And I know it's different. I know this story is difficult for us to access because Christ doesn't walk among us now the way he did then. And I know we don't have access to his physical touch the way those who lived back then do or did. 
But the striking thing, the important thing is that what we do still have access to is his word. His living word, read from scripture, preached from the pulpit. What we do have access to is the healing and saving word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bare word that that centurion relied upon. Through his word and by his spirit, we still have access to Jesus. And this matters. Because our faith is ultimately revealed by where, in whom, we put our lives. There has to be truth. There has to be an object to our faith. And that truth scripturally, according to scripture, is about a person. Our great triune God in heaven. The focus and object of this centurion's faith is Jesus. Here the centurion had a certain amount of faith about Jesus. He accepted it was true. He expressed that faith through his trust and confidence. Jesus didn't have to come and see the sick man. He didn't have to lay hands upon him. He simply had to speak. And this indicates the centurion's tremendous faith. But it's only a tremendous faith, a great faith, because he considered the object of his faith, Jesus, to be great. For I myself am a man under authority, he says, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. As a military man, this centurion was a man under authority. And as he encounters Jesus, he submits to him as one with authority. The highest authority. A divine authority. An authority over life itself. An authority more powerful than death. This centurion had no doubt commanded men to do things that were physically possible and had the authority to make them do it with threats of punishment or discipline. But he recognizes Jesus has a different kind of authority, an authority to command things that are physically impossible, things beyond human capacity, diseases, demons, dead people, and the like. What finally reveals, beloved, where the faith of this centurion is, is not what he knows or who he trusts. It's putting these two things together in focusing and submitting himself to Christ. For this centurion, the object of his faith wasn't the power of Jesus, but the person, the authority behind that power. The basis of his faith was not the word given, but the one who speaks that word. This is important for us to hear because, again, for many of us, we can be very much taken up with the power, the authority of Jesus. We can invoke the name of Jesus, but it almost can become like a magic formula. It can almost become like something that, well, we said it, so now it has to happen. And that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about the relationship, a relationship that develops through knowledge, through trust, and through submission. If you will... This centurion teaches us how to be just-say-the-word followers of Jesus. Beloved, this morning, what challenges you from becoming a just-say-the-word follower of Jesus? What keeps you from knowing that God really wants to meet our needs? As you're probably familiar, the response of the centurion with a slight variation is often used when we come to the communion table. It's used because what's invoked here are the words of someone pleading to Christ for salvation. But only say the word, Lord, and I shall be healed. I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, Lord, and I shall be healed. The words of an outsider, a Gentile, shape, are coming to the table. But only say the word, Lord, and I shall be healed. Where in your life is your faith wavering today? 
God knows for some of us our faith is wavering today. Or at least a little bit disoriented by the losses we've experienced. Where do we need today as a community Jesus to only say the word? To only say the word so that we will know, so that we will trust, so that we will submit that we will be healed. Beloved, as we think today, many of us, about Arlene and and Nathan, they have heard that word. They have heard that word in their lives. They heard it and lived out of the assurance of that word, and now they have seen it come full circle. And with the rest of the communion of saints, they speak to us this morning. They speak to us this morning. Let him hear. Let them hear your word, O Lord. Beloved, just say the word, being a just say the word follower of Jesus doesn't mean that our trust, our relationship is based on seeing all the details. The centurion doesn't see all the details. But what does he see? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus and he trusts him. That's the final stepping stone of faith. We don't need to understand the details. And this morning, that's what I think we all want. Why? Arlene is relieved of her suffering. So for many of us, we can rejoice. But for Nathan, why? Why now? Why this way? Why in light of what he was going through in his life at that moment in the last few weeks? Why now? And we will not know those details. And we don't need to. We don't need to understand the details. We only need to acknowledge our need. We only need to acknowledge that we have questions that we can't answer. We only need to acknowledge our own unworthiness. We only need to know whom to ask for help. And then to submit to the one who can help us. That is the kind of faith that Jesus marvels at. That is the kind of faith that he has not seen in all of Israel. What Jesus sees throughout the gospel, what Jesus often laments throughout the gospel, are those who are self-righteous, those who are self-sufficient, people who are continuing to demand a sign from him to prove what he said, or people following him for a while and then leaving when his sayings, his teachings become too difficult. That's the kind of faith that he sees in his travels. And frankly, that's the kind of faith that oftentimes we see. That is not the kind of faith that Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is calling us to the faith that he witnessed. A faith based on knowledge, expressed through trust, but ultimately focused not on oneself, but on him. Another way to look at this is to notice that the faith that Jesus praises here is the faith that praises him. Now, think about it. We don't do that. At least I hope we don't. We don't do that. If someone praises us, our normal response is to say, oh, oh, really, I'm not that great. Really, your praise is out of place. I just don't, I don't deserve it. At least that's what we say. And most of us think and know that deep down within, but not Jesus. Jesus accepts the centurion's faith. What Jesus endorses, what he marvels at, is the, the centurion's expression of praise towards him. Because to focus on Jesus is to praise Jesus. Putting your faith in Jesus means praising Jesus, declaring that he is the focus, the center of our lives, everything that matters. And so, if you will, the faith that pleases him is the faith that praises him. The focus of our faith is revealed by the object of our worship. Our worship is what unites us, unites our faith to something or to someone. 
We can say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We can believe and trust him as our Lord and Savior. But our faith is evidenced through our worship. Through what or in whom our lives are ultimately focused. Beloved, this morning is what we say we believe consistent with what or who we worship. That's what the Lenten journey is all about as we walk through the wilderness, is what we say we believe, is who we say we believe in, consistent with our worship, with where we place, submit our lives, our attention, our energy, our resources. It's significant and not surprising that in the midst of this story, Jesus takes a moment to issue a severe warning. It's harsh. He reveals that God's purposes, he declares another insight into the kingdom as he says, God's purposes are just about to break out from the nation of Israel and go global. He reports that many outsiders will be brought to the kingdom of God and then also says many insiders will be left out. It's interesting that later on in chapter 12 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus will look back upon Capernaum and he will condemn Capernaum, this city, for their unbelief in him. He will say these words, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for Capernaum. Ho, ho, ho. And yet, in 12, it's important to go back to here to 8 and to realize that in the midst of a city of unbelief, here he proclaims this resident of Capernaum, this Gentile soldier, as one who will go ahead of many privileged subjects of the kingdom to join Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven because of his great faith expressed through his knowledge, his trust, his worship, his faith in Jesus. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And we're told his servant was healed at that moment. Do you notice, beloved, that Jesus never inquires about the servant's faith or lack thereof? Did you catch that in this story? He simply acts on the basis of the faith of the centurion. The focus of this, this story is the centurion and his faith, but the expression of his faith in Jesus is helpful and beneficial, a means of grace to his servant. And this is not the only place that we find that this is how faith works in the Bible. And beloved, the importance of that is to understand what faith is and that faith is not blind. Our faith in Christ is meant to be a means of grace to others. Yes, we are called to an individual faith. We're called to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But the gift of faith, of that relationship with Jesus, is meant to be shared. It's intended to be a means of grace to others, especially to those who do not believe. Part of our life, our mission as the church, is to believe for those who do not yet believe, to pray for those who do not yet know the Lord, and to seek their health and salvation. The expression of our faith is when it becomes a means of grace to others. Are we exercising our faith as a means of grace for those who do not know, who have not heard? And to help you with this, take a moment. Think about your own life, your own journey of faith. Who comes to your mind? What names, what voices come to your mind as your means of grace? Whose faith in Jesus served in your life as a means of grace for you? Whose faith in Jesus Christ expressed served as your own introduction to Christ? Served as your own encouragement 
in your following Jesus. We don't get here alone. We don't come to Christ alone, and we don't stay in relationship to him alone. Beloved, this morning I encourage us to reflect on how can our faith in Jesus be a means of grace to others. Introducing them to this this Lord and Savior that we praise. Helping them along the way. Faith doesn't have to be complicated. And faith isn't blind. A little faith is great faith when it comes to Jesus. Most Roman troops considered themselves superior to the Jews whose land they occupied. Other centurions in the same circumstance might have tried to bring Jesus in by force. But this centurion thought he was one who was not worthy to even come and meet with Jesus. Most Jews of the time called Jesus rabbi or teacher. But this Gentile called him Lord. A few decades later, Christians would be executed by Romans for saying Jesus is Lord rather than hail Caesar. But this Roman acknowledged the lordship of Christ before most did. Because he recognized that Jesus is Lord, because he knew that Jesus had authority, but his faith was not just in what Jesus could do. It was in who Jesus was. So I say to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, I say to us this morning as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, come. Come to him. Come as the centurion with the knowledge of his redeeming work. Come with the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings of the greatness of the Son of God and the truthfulness of the gospel. Come and cast yourself upon him. Let our faith be found in knowing who Jesus is, in recognizing his presence in our lives, in acknowledging our unworthiness to be in his presence. Let our faith be discovered in applying that knowledge through our trust, our submission to his authority over us. And may our reliance upon his power be revealed through our worship of Jesus out in the world, through our being a means of grace to others who do not know and have not heard. These are the kind of disciples about whom Jesus marvels. Beloved, if we would possess such faith, we would not only have Jesus marveling, but we would marvel, we would be amazed at what God will do in our lives. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So lead us, O God. Lead us by your spirit and give us the faith of a mustard seed. The faith that can move mountains. The faith that is great enough to bring us into the knowledge, trust, and worship of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, if there are some here today who have not come to Jesus, I pray that you would give them no rest or peace until they rest in him. Through our worship of you in this life, O God, may we come to live in your glory and enjoy you forever in the life to come. We ask all of this through the one in whom we put our faith, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said,